The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers breaking and headline news, offers analysis, commentary, and I interview high-profile public figures. In each show, I also highlight an exceptional organization, company, nonprofit, or even an individual that does great work in the community. After the headlines, I have two interviews today. The first one is with California Congressman Mark Takano, followed by an interview with the founder and editor of The Immigrant Magazine, as well as the host of Impact on KPFK, Pamela Sobo Anchang. Let's cover some headline news this morning. The Florida Department of Health reported 15,299 new COVID-19 cases Sunday the highest number of new cases reported in a single day by any state since the coronavirus pandemic began. Florida Congresswoman Donna Shalala said the virus is still out of control and places like Miami are edging closer to shutting down for a second time. Around 40 hospitals across the state have no ICU beds available and more than 7,000 patients are hospitalized statewide with the virus. State data showed on Saturday. Well, I'll be looking at it. I think Roger Stone was very unfairly treated, as were many people. And in the meantime, Comey and all these guys are walking around, including Biden and Obama, because we caught them spying on my campaign. Who would have believed that one? Thank you. President Trump commuted the sentence of Roger Stone on Friday, wielding his executive power just days before his longtime friend and political advisor was set to report to prison. The move sparing Stone from jail, but not a pardon, came just after a court denied Stone's request to delay the start date of his 40-month prison term. Stone was convicted of lying to Congress, obstruction, and witness tampering. Stone was the sixth Trump aide found guilty on charges linked to a Justice Department probe that alleged Russia tried to boost the Trump 2016 campaign. President Donald Trump considered the idea of selling Puerto Rico in 2017 after the island was devastated by Hurricane Maria. The former acting Homeland Security Secretary Elaine Duke told the New York Times in an interview published on Friday. Trump has had a fraught history with the U.S. territory since Puerto Rico was devastated by Hurricane Maria. Nearly 3,000 people died because of the storm and afterwards, including widespread power outages. California jobless claims backlog jumps. Nearly 2 million unemployment claims filed in the state over the first three months of government-ordered business lockdowns have yet to be paid, an analysis of federal government statistics shows. The brutal backlog is further evidence of the troubles plaguing the embattled state employment development department, prompting the newly jobless to complain of an overwhelmed phone system and antiquated technology. The first-time claims have gone unfilled even as Governor Newsom has promised reforms and increased staffing for EDD. I have done just about everything I know how to do as a public official to make things work, but my colleagues, my staff, my constituents, and I are at our wit's end, said Assemblymember David Chu, a Democrat from San Francisco. He continued, these numbers show that we have 
or what we have suspected all along, EDD is utterly failing millions of Californians. EDD's failure has real human consequences. Californians have depleted their life savings, gone into severe debt, and been unable to feed their families because of bureaucratic incompetence. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, I want to talk to you about Page Two Mondays. Page Two Mondays is a movement that I started, I launched with the Blunt Post. But before that, I want to talk to you about how COVID-19 has impacted small and medium-sized businesses. It's actually devastated a lot of them. Some have gone out of business, others are barely open. But as consumers, we can help. We can be in the solution. We have the purchasing power to do this. So Page Two Mondays is a movement to encourage consumers to support medium and small-sized businesses bypassing page one of their online search when shopping on Mondays. According to Time Magazine, the first day of the work week is almost always the biggest day of the week for online shopping. It is increasingly more difficult and expensive for medium and small sized businesses to land on page one of Google and other search engine results. Large corporations have the means to purchase paid ads and have their teams optimize search results so that they can be on page one. It is virtually impossible to compete with Walmart, Target, Macy's, Best Buy, Apple and other corporations that have the annual marketing budgets in the millions. According to an article in Digital Synopsis titled, Why Page 2 of Google Search Results is the Best Place to Hide a Dead Body, Page 1 results enjoy 95% of all search traffic. Traffic drops 95% from Page 1 to Page 2 results. Now, there's nothing wrong with buying products from big corporations, I do, but it's important to give small and medium-sized businesses a chance too. Skipping page one when shopping online on Mondays will dramatically help smaller retailers and businesses that cannot compete with Fortune 500 companies. This movement is about being in the solution and putting to good use one's purchasing power. If you want more information about Page Two Mondays, please visit thebluntpost.com and also check out uh, Page Two Mondays social media accounts. Uh, they're all at Page Two Mondays. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are Page Two Mondays, and two is just number two. So that's it. It's really getting blunt about the fact that. We need to really go into second gear and help small and medium-sized businesses. And we have the power to do that. We can't and we should not be relying on the federal government to do that. We can do it ourselves and we can help businesses to stay alive and also thrive. So join me on The Blunt Post for Page Two Mondays. Let's get blunt. Congressman Mark Takano has served California's 41st Congressional District for seven years. His district is in Southern California's Inland Empire, which includes Riverside County. 
In 2012, Congressman Takano became the first openly gay person of color to be elected to Congress. He serves as chairman of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs and as a member of the Education and Labor Committee. Congressman Takano, how are you? This is Vic Jaramie. Hi, Vic. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for um, taking the time to be on the Blunt Post with Vic. I really appreciate it. I have to say, before I forget, I really enjoy your direct and bluntness, especially on social media. I read a lot of your posts, and uh, I really appreciate that. You don't mince words. Oh, well, I thank you. Thank you. I do the best I can. Yeah. <laughs> Congressman, want to get right to the current place that we're at. I say place because there are so many overlapping things that are happening and changing so rapidly. Of course, for a minute there, we thought that COVID-19 was starting to subside a bit, perhaps, but now we're seeing a big sort of surge again. And you have a, for obvious reasons, you have a kind of a bird's eye view as a congressman. Where are we? How do you assess and what's your perspective on what's happening now? Certain businesses that should have been closed a lot sooner. 
that uh, the lack of national leadership, the lack of key, a key consensus being formed around how to respond to this public health crisis <clears throat> has led to a divided public. And I, I still think the vast majority of people in our, in, in our state, in my community, adhere to important new norms of face mask wearing and social distancing. But a significant, a significant minority uh, is rebelling due to a, a lack of responsible leadership from people who could have influence over, those, uh, over this group of people. And that I find just astoundingly irresponsible. Yeah, and that's caused the COVID-19 cases to go up in Riverside County. And I'm glad you said top leadership because it all trickles down. What I find fascinating uh, about the French few who talk about mask wearing as government imposing something on themselves or on their body and such, they are seeing these masks as some sort of a government forcing something on them and it's about their freedom. And yet most of the time these same people uh, have no problem telling women what to do with their bodies. Um, I find that fascinating and their health. But Riverside County, going back to Riverside County, which your district covers, what is happening in Riverside County? Well, Riverside County, I can't answer that question without sort of relationship to what the governor has ordered. Right. So the governor has ordered, has ordered uh, face mask wearing. The, and it's a big question about how he's going to be able to enforce that. Now, uh, we have a county sheriff who's elected here who during the debate at the Board of Supervisors of May said, well, if you, if you extend uh, these health orders, including face mask wearing uh, as, a, as an ordinance from the county, uh, I, am, I, am, I don't have the resources to enforce it. I am not going to enforce it. And so there's a question as to whether or not the governor is going to be able to have the cooperation of, of county sheriffs, of uh, police departments that are in charter cities like the city of Riverside. You know, there's, there's a whole question about enforcement of that. Riverside County is approaching 20,000 COVID-19 cases. Still the second highest infection uh, rate, not infection rate, but the, the number of infections is the second highest in the state. And our hospitals uh, are approaching 100% capacity. Now, not all those hospitals uh, not all of, not all of the, uh, the bed occupancy in hospitals is because of COVID-19. Yes, sure. people, people will point out it's a percentage. Sure. But still, the hospitals, they will say they need to make money by doing procedures again, by doing elective procedures. So a lot of what you, the bed space and ICU units are filled with people recovering from elective procedures. So we are, we're now in a situation where we have to be careful about uh, hospitalizations uh, because of the higher infection rate uh, that we're experiencing. So the public health officer, Dr. Kaiser, has ordered bars to close, but I believe that, that that's a good decision to close the bars because they are, they are smaller enclosed spaces with loud music in the background, which cause people to speak louder. That's a good point. Uh, and speaking louder, of course, causes people to emit almost the invisible droplets or small little airborne droplets that could contain virus. And this is one of the, the ways it can be spread. So closing the bars was a good decision. But 
This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with California Congressman Mark Ticano. Going back to what you said about the governor's statement and the sheriff's statement that he doesn't have the resources to enforce, are you an advocate of actual law enforcement enforcing masks just like City of West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, and Santa Monica just did? Well, that's, that's something for local communities. Okay. To work out. I mean, I don't, I don't know that we want law enforcement to be patrolling supermarkets and smaller stores, or you know, enforcing, you know, uh, issuing citations and you know, for and fighting people. True. But I do think it, it sends the wrong message and the wrong tone to say that I won't enforce it or it won't be enforced. Right. And I think most people are going to obey the law if it's the law. And if they know that the law ultimately has sanctions, financial sanctions, uh, and I, I think financial sanctions are going to be enough for most people. And, and, I, and, I, and I think, I think it's, it's important for law enforcement officials, local government officials, to also be speaking with the same voice, sending the message out that social distancing and face mask wearing are significant tools in controlling the spread of infection of COVID-19. Yeah. And I think they need to be unified. I think just simply communicating it's the law. And it's X amount of dollars fine for violation of that law. I, I think you'll find very, very few people who will challenge it, ultimately. And um, are we facing organized civil disobedience over over this will jails fill up because of this? I, I highly doubt it. I think if across the spectrum people understand that it's the law. I'll give you I'll give you another example. I mean it was frustrating for me as a member of Congress to make my journey back to Washington in the month of April and see significant numbers of people at LAX not wearing face masks. Right. To get on a plane that I had to touch down in Denver uh, to see these individuals who were upgraded um, in first class not wear masks in a, a, a very crowded first class. In April, the coach section of the plane was completely was was nearly empty, only like four or five people. I moved myself into coach, not an issue for me to do that, but it was very annoying to see the conceit of these other passengers not wearing masks at all. And when I touched down in Denver, there was another clutch of individuals who weren't wearing masks in the waiting area at the gate. And they boarded the plane uh, and were all upgraded and sat on the same row, two on each side of the aisle, not wearing masks. It wasn't until, um, well, JetBlue, toward the end of April, announced that they were going to impose a face mask wearing policy at the airline, followed by American United and the other airlines. But what was missing was an FAA 
administrator imposing this rule across the airlines. Yeah. For the month of May, it was unclear whether or not the airlines were going to really enforce this regulation, and then one airline did, American ejected somebody off. But here's the point I'm making, is that what's, what was missing there was any attempt to impose the rule of law. The, the airlines, there's this ideology from the administration uh, and the FAA administrator falsely claiming that he has no authority uh, to issue such a rule. And uh, so, and even if that were true and Congress were to pass some sort of law, I, I don't know whether the president would sign it, you know, given where this president comes from. Uh, trying to minimize, it's all about, it's all this, it's all this, Winking and nod at each other among Republicans to minimize that this virus is right. dangerous. It won't even get through to the Senate. <laughs> to I, get I, to the I president. We get past the Senate, but we're yeah. seeing that same sort of attitude with this board of supervisors. That's unfortunate. Same sort of attitude with this board of supervisors. It's an attitude of like, well, the governor has issued an order. Like, why should we? We're going to be in line with them. We're not going to do anything more aggressive. But not doing anything more aggressive or more robust is all a, a nod to the idea that the virus is not dangerous. Yeah, and it's, it's playing with fire. Congressman, thank you for that thorough um, sort of analysis, if you will. Your more quickly. You, yeah, I know you want to cover other topics. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's okay. I, I really enjoyed hearing that. I, I especially enjoyed when you took things in your own hands and said, I'm going to go and sit and coach and have my own social distancing if uh, first class isn't working out. So I, I like that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with California Congressman Mark Takano. I do want to, if I may, change topics and talk about uh, an act that was just passed uh, a few weeks ago, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, and you were a supporter of that. Just want to get your perspective on its importance and what you think will happen now. I think the George Floyd Police, Justice Police Act, as written in the House of Representatives, is a substantive police reform legislative package. It is not paying lip service. Uh, it includes banning chokeholds, banning no-knock warrants, drug cases, ending uh, re- racial, religious, and discriminatory profiling. Very important to me is the elimination, actually it's not the elimination, it's the reform of qualified immunity as a do, as a judicial doctrine. That is truly a barrier to victims of police brutality to hold police officers who perpetrated that brutality accountable. This is probably one of the most significant parts of the bill, and which has been declared by uh, the Republican point person, uh, Senator Tim Scott, the only African-American Republican in the Senate saying that that's a non-starter, uh, that that is a deal-breaker, that this is a, a, uh, a poison pill. That is truly, truly an affront. You have other Republican senators, a couple of other Republican senators who are saying they're open to it. So I, I'm, I have some optimism that, that there may be some movement, mm-hmm. but I'm not holding my breath. And I, forgive me for using that hold my breath. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Uh, Expression, um, it, I mean, it could be perceived by some of your listeners as bad taste. Sure. But in some ways, the idea uh, that Senator Scott was saying that that is a non-starter makes me feel that I can't breathe. The bill will also.
also establish a national police misconduct registry to improve transparency and prevent problematic officers moving from agency to agency once they've been fired. We require data collection, including mandatory body cam dashboard cameras. We establish new standards for policing and the public safety innovation grants uh, for community-based organizations to help reimagine policing in their communities. Uh, this bill includes making lynching a federal hate crime, and uh, it also takes steps to demilitarize uh, the police. These are all very substantive elements which the Republicans, uh, the, Senate, the Senate Republicans, want to water down. As uh, usual. Yeah, just water them down. I think it's a real test of the movement, which I credit. The Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement has given us an opening and a challenge. I think the House of Representatives rose to that challenge in passing this bill, this substantive bill. I think what is wanting to happen is that not passing the George Floyd Justice Policing Act in the Senate remained too hot to handle. That public sentiment needs to rise to the extent that it's too hot to handle too hot for the Senate to not take action. Yeah, and, and it's, um, it's a clear, it's a clear demark- point of demarcation. And, uh, you know, the Republicans will say, well, that's playing, you know, the, we've chosen to play politics. No, this is not playing politics. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Many members of Congress, many, it, it, it was a bipartisan, we had two or three members of the Republican Party in the House also join in. What the House representatives did was courageous, it's bold, uh, and it rose above politics. It rebo- uh, rose above the fear of retribution from very, very powerful uh, police unions. Yeah. And so what's holding back the Senate is cowardice. Uh, what's holding back this president is racism. Right. Well, that was about time, and it's a great bill, and I hope that the Senate comes to its senses and they don't play partisan politics as usual. They did that with the Armenian Genocide Resolution Act, where the House and the Senate, well, the Senate passed it unanimously, and the House was almost unanimous. One would think that something this important, like the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, it would be in the same, it was the same way, but unfortunately not. Congressman, I know that you have to go, and uh, I, keep, I keep my promises. So I want to thank you for being on the show uh, and for just the wealth of knowledge you gave us, and uh, good luck to you and the county of Riverside uh, as we all move forward. Well, great. Well, thank you. I do have to go on the call, but thanks. Um, I appreciate, appreciate it. The point. We'll, we'll talk later. All right. Thanks, thanks Congressman. Bye bye. That was Congressman Mark Takano from Riverside, right here in Southern California. Thank you for your time, Congressman. The Blunt Post with Vic. Pamela Asobo Anchan is the founder and the managing editor of The Immigrant Magazine since 2003 and the creator and the host of Impact on KPFK. Pamela has been on a mission to change the negative perception of immigrants through her work by projecting the voices of marginalized immigrant women and children in the U.S., as well as profiling immigrant achievers and celebrities. She has been profiled by the Los Angeles Times, National Public Radio, The African Channel, and Voice of America. Welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. Thank you for being here with me today. How are you? 
I'm doing great and I'm so happy to be here having this conversation with you. Absolutely, especially you being a another a programmer with a great show on KPFK. It's actually my first time interviewing uh, another host from KPFK, so this oh. is a real pleasure. Thank you. Let's start with um, just talking a little bit about your background. For those who may not know you and your background, you're from uh, the African country of Cameroon, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background in terms of like when did you move to the States and how that was and, you know, how it relates. Well, I don't think we have enough time to do that. It's a concise version. So I grew up, I was born and raised in Cameroon. For those who don't know, Cameroon is actually shared borders with Nigeria, which most people are familiar with. But it's on the central coast and uh, in Central Africa. And uh, I was raised there up to the age of uh, my early 20s. And uh, I left Cameroon because, like most immigrants, um, I faced challenges. We were going through a transition politically and my family were targeted because the main opposition leader of the country happened to be my cousin. And unfortunately, in a country like Cameroon, where really it's authoritarian, we've had a president for over 30-something years now, and, um, you know, you're targeted regardless of your participation or not. However, having gone to college there, I was a little bit of an activist myself. And so <laughs> I saw that the future was not you know, going to be great for me out there. I didn't like the way women were treated. I didn't like the way um, people from a certain region, which I'm predominantly from, English-speaking parts of Cameroon were treated. And so those who are following Cameroon politics, Cameroon's going through a crisis right now where the, um, the southern Cameroon, which is the English-speaking part of Cameroon, has been targeted. Um, they're wanting to proceed. They're wanting to one federation and it's just a mess out there right now so i think i left in a timely fashion and that was 20 something years ago and i relocated to the united states where i felt i could have better opportunity and more importantly safety security for myself and so i've been here for 20 something years and um, the journey has been um, quite daunting which is why i do what i do because i always figure that if you know, there was some kind of resource for new immigrants, especially on a media platform. Because coming to the United States was good. However, it was very challenging. The integration, the information, the resources was difficult to come by. And really doesn't matter who receives your country that would speak how you fare. Um, when we talk about undocumented immigrants, and um, vice versa, we don't realize that most of it is a fluke. It's luck that you have the right information so you can do what you need to do so you don't fall out of status. You know, most African immigrants that come here come legally, for example. But however, they might fall within the crash because of lack of the right proper legal um, information. So that's been my story and that's why you know, pushing ahead, I decided that I wanted to create a platform that would cater to those needs, that would not just talk about just the fun stuff, but actually provide resources and direction. So I don't know if I kind of summarized <laughs> it, of course. <laughs> that, that, was, that was brilliant. 
Thank you. Very insightful and, and beautifully said. You have quite a story like a lot of immigrants do. I, I remember years ago when Oprah had her ABC show, she used to say that everyone has a story, but some, some of us have more complicated ones. And sometimes we look at it in a bittersweet way, and sometimes we realize that it makes us more resilient, I think. And you certainly are giving back. Uh, to you know, countless people with uh, with the immigrant magazines, which you started in two thousand and three, and the work that you do for bringing a, a face to the word immigrant, a face, and to destigmatize. Uh, of course, in the last few years, we've we've had to deal with our so-called leader, uh, who has um, you know sort of even criminalized in a way uh, immigration and what he's done to stigmatize immigrants and the experience. It's really shameful. So let's talk about the Immigrant Magazine and you advocate for a lot of people on there and you profile success stories and and diverse um, people that have had American success and immigration stories. How did you come to start the Immigrant Magazine? This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Pamela Sobo Anchan, the founder and managing editor of The Immigrant Magazine and the host of Impact on KPFK. That's another long story, but we don't have so much time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make time. So what happened was, <laughs> yes. So when I relocated to the United States, I came as a teacher because um, I... I did um, language back in Cameroon, and I went to France and did some of my studies there, and I came here, and um, I realized that I did not have the right information, and like most immigrants, I found myself juggling, you know, the menial jobs or the, you know, startup kind of situations like most immigrants, but I didn't have a place that would give me direction on what to do, and then I stumbled on uh, uh, an acquaintance from my country who said, oh, you have this qualification, you have this and you have that, what are you doing with yourself? I didn't know. And so he helped me get myself situated and I became a teacher on the East Coast in Maryland. I taught um, foreign languages in uh, Prince George's County Public School. Now, had I not had that luck, that opportunity to have met this person, I might would have, I might have, you know, strayed in some other profession or something that really was not even something that I would have wanted to. So I realized very quickly that it really doesn't matter who receives you. Mm-hmm. And so I went into that profession, teaching, and then I ended up switching gears and then computer engineering. Then I had this vision that I wanted to write. And I did, initially, I wanted to write about my experiences growing up in Cameroon. However, what happened was that I couldn't find a media platform that would accommodate my story. I couldn't find a media platform that was interested in knowing about what I wanted to say about Cameroon or Africa and, you know, about growing up. And so I found that I didn't have uh, an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. So I started writing, wrote all these articles and decided that I was going to publish them myself. And the course of doing that, I, I tumbled on lots of other immigrants. You know, when you go to uh, an ethnic, as we call them, grocery store to get your ethnic grocery things that you relate to and I talked to different people I went to some of the international stores out here in Los Angeles actually and uh, I realized that most immigrants like myself face that problem so we would be chatting and telling our stories and I said wow 
would be interesting to have a platform that we can share the stories on. Mind you, this was more than 15 years ago. So even though the magazine was launched in 2003, actually the vision for it started like 2001. And so I would talk to people, I sent out profiles, I talked to a friend, a colleague, at the time I was working as a computer and network engineer at the company. And she said, well, I know someone who works for City Guide. And this gentleman, you know, asked me some, some questions about immigration and uh, what I knew about it. And I don't know that. I didn't know that much about my life as an immigrant. And then he gave me some tasks to do and I did them. And then next thing I knew, I said I was going to launch a company called the Immigrant Magazine that would just be there to provide resources. On, and, and, and back then, computers were not as prevalent, not to mention a smartphone. There was nothing like, so getting information was pretty hard. And so I decided that I was going to create this. And so I met a, another friend. <laughs> I created a community of friends and said, I need help with this. Can we structure this? And so friends came along, different immigrants and suggested that I create a website. And so I built a first website called Immigrant Magazine. And then I sent um, surveys to different successful immigrants. I wanted to know if they were interested in telling their stories. I cannot tell you how many inventors and successful entrepreneurs or professionals or engineers and attorneys who were excited at the prospect of sharing their stories and wanting to impact and wanting to help someone and so that's how Immigrant Magazine was born. And so I gathered all the stories and I put them on this platform. Everybody was excited about it. Now, in order to drive traffic to the website was another story. But not like today, like I said, there was right. a share, share button for you to share. People didn't have computers, so I decided now to do a print version of it. So created the first print version of Immigrant Magazine. And I was just so happy to put the basis of Immigrant. So I wanted to change the perception of Immigrant. I did not like at all what I was seeing in American television or even listening on the radio. Every time I would hear a story, any platform, I would be thinking to myself, that's not me. That does not sound like me. I'm computing. Right. I'm not, that's not this. It was all the stories about the crime and the immigrants that weren't doing so good. Never the successful stories. Never the stories of the CEO who had the journey. Never the story of the Hollywood success story who came from Afghanistan or who came from um, Nigeria. It was always about mine. And I would always say, that is not me. And I felt hurt. It felt like every time I was upset I was an immigrant, someone would look at me and think, oh, you're one of those. And I didn't like that at all. The people that know me, I'm the kind of person that doesn't sit back. I want to change. <laughs> right. I decided to create this platform and I just love telling the stories. And at the same time, while I was telling the stories, I was providing resources for new immigrants, you know. And I, I can tell you this, Vic. Um, I had people that said to me, why are you calling it immigrant? People were ashamed. Immigrants were ashamed to own that name, immigrants. That's it. It was kind of like, is there something like a scarlet letter or something? Like, you didn't want to be associated <laughs> with the word immigrant. And so I decided that I was going to own it. I was going to be an immigrant. And you're going to know that it was built by immigrants. We're going to talk about the contributions that immigrants have made in shaping the country. And so then I wanted to tell all these great stories of action, um, success stories from different walks of life, yeah. advocacy, all of that. I love that. 
I love that. That you owned it, you know? You, you said yeah. you owned it. Yeah, make it change it around, make it be a positive. And then the next thing I knew, I was getting the challenge of now you're doing well. Everybody was like, oh, are you going to focus on legal immigration or illegal immigration and all that kind of nonsense? So I said, after debating and wrestling, I said, no, I'm going to be for everybody. Everybody that sets foot on this country, in this country, on this soil, deserves dignity. And so Immigrant Magazine has never been for just a group of people of elites. It's for everybody. So we talk about how to have them documented, how to reach out, and how to show empathy, how to humanize mm-hmm. the immigrant experience. How can we make you see that these are human beings? These children who are against deportation of their parents deserve the love and affection of a father and a mother, just like your children. And when I talk about it, it makes me really passionate and sad when I feel that people who are supposed to be protected children who choose you know, who deserves the love and care and compassion of a parent in the house? You know, it's just sickening to me. And so we will never be other than what we are all immigrants. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Pamela Sobo Anchan, the founder and managing editor of The Immigrant Magazine and the host of Impact on KPFK. That's very admirable that you at some point made a like a, a firm decision to be for everyone and say everyone who comes here and, and it's the truth everyone that comes to the u.s maybe there are a handful of exceptions but people come here to for the opportunities so they can work hard and have a piece of the pie if you will and um, i like that the immigrant magazine has kept to that and you know i do want to acknowledge that you created a platform You created the opportunity for yourself and in the process you have been you were and have been in service to so many people it's it's just it's just incredible amount of work Uh, i i can only imagine what goes into it and then you you also transitioned into radio and your show impact which is on kpfk uh, the televised version also you have a televised version also which is on tim tv uh, or the yeah. Immigrant Magazine's uh, website. So tell me a little bit about impact on KPFK, Pacifica Radio. Well, first of all, thank you so much again for getting me on the show. I'm so happy. And just one point of correction, not to correct sure. you, anyway. Sure. <laughs> I just wanted to say that everybody in this country, whether immigrant, second generation, third generation, is American, has the heritage of immigration, and they tend to forget that. The only real people, Americans, are the um, natives, and um, so everybody else needs to check their heritage before they come for the right. new immigrants. So <laughs> I wanted to make that clear. And uh, so now let's talk about impact. You know, like I said before, the United States is a nation of immigrants. You know. But, and the contributions that immigrants have made have actually shaped this country to make it stand out in the rest of the world. And it's really one of the few countries where you can come, start a business, grow it, and become multi-millionaire, which is a great thing, you know. So, Impact is a show that acknowledges these contributions of immigrants in multiple aspects. We want to be able 
also to provide the form for them to grow exponentially. If you look at it, immigrants make up, I mean, if you look at every million immigrants in this country every year, 90% of them will be an entrepreneur, one way or the other. If you notice, even someone that's a nurse has a small business of some sort, has such a kind of hustle, which they come with the hustle field. <laughs> and so we want to provide a platform that, or a forum, where these people will not only cry, but that they will be not noticed and acknowledged, that they will be made relevant, that they have opinions, that we can talk about the immigrant perspective on things, on issues, that everybody talks about. We want to have a platform where we can talk about the movement and how it relates to immigrants. We want to talk about the Black Lives Movement and how it relates to immigrants. We want to talk about the Me Too Movement, how it relates to immigrants. We want to talk about Islamophobia and how it relates to immigrants. We also want to celebrate immigrants of We also want to showcase the first Afghan-American immigrant to win a Grammy, for example, like Omar Ekran, right. who had him on our show. One talk about Larry Neymar, whose parents came here immigrants, and Larry founded E Entertainment. So, Impact really is not a show that is actually just relegated to just immigrants. It's actually about that immigrant experience. So, it's not really your typical immigration show. Sure. We talk about immigration, but we also talk about lifestyle, we talk about marriage, we talk about how I'm faring being married out here. <laughs> You know, and compare that to had I been married back in Cameroon, what would the dynamics have been? So we're a real fun show. We are serious when we need to be on issues, but we'll talk about the lighthearted things and the serious things and cultural things that the food, martial arts, how it's contributed, how brutally heritage contributed to shaping the concept of what martial arts is today in America. We talk about everything. So it's a platform where we have conversation with and Americans. You see, it's, it's a point where getting together is not about the divisions. It's about coming to the table and you getting to understand me and so I can also understand you. Like, what am I doing better? You as an American. What do you want to know about my experience? And what can I learn from you? What can you also learn from me? Think about food. Just think a simple notion like food. My kids wake up every day after they've had all the African food I've given them. They say, I want to eat Chinese today. That's the beauty of living in this country. We'll talk about those beautiful things. Right. So, in, uh, Impact is really a lighthearted show, serious at times. Talk about issues. We want to talk about politics. We want to talk about why you support such and such a candidate. We want to give a perspective. We want to make you understand why it's important that you integrate and that you participate. So, we're creating a platform that will facilitate that integration, okay? And so we have also transitioned from the radio to TV because from the get-go, we figured people are very visual, you know, and in this era, there's no excuse. Initially, I wanted to have a show that would be on a mainstream American network. Again, the stumbling block, just like when I wanted to write. No one was really interested. And so now I decided, thank God for YouTube, you can stop me. We are unstoppable as a people. You, only you can stop yourself. And so from the get-go, when we started Impact on the radio, the first few shows were not televised, but then I had this vision to make it a show that's televised and people can see this guest because actually seeing the diversity is just as important as hearing the story. And so we now 
uh, created a show that is a televised show, which is now going to be launched on Team TV, Voice of Instance in America, on YouTube. So there you get to see the conversation. It's a panel discussion, and it's also, it's divided into panel, and then what I call the impact talks. This is where now I get to tell your story. You get to tell me your personal story, your journey, but I can learn from you what you've learned and so on and so forth. But the panel tackles specific topics. We talk about challenges of raising children. We talk about challenges of, you know, succeeding. We talk about the success stories. We don't talk about American dream. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? We bring entrepreneurs. We bring inventors. We talk about issues such as how the American culture, Hollywood, impacted our lives. How we see beauty? What is the definition of beauty based on your cultural heritage? Is it from the whitewashed version that you've been fed, or is it from your experience? Now, I'll tell you what. In some African countries, mine included, a curvy woman is the standard of beauty. Right. <laughs> and then I come here, and I have to be as skinny as a twig. You know, I, how, what am I going to do? Am I going to succumb to that pressure? Or am I going to stand my ground and just be myself? You know, and if I stand my ground and be myself, is my husband going to be interested in a tweet? Kind of. So let's talk about That's all fantastic. Now, arranged marriage. You come from a culture where marriage travels back to your country. Now, when you come here, you're practicing this. You know, FGM, all the things, you know, genital mutilation. We talk about everything big. We would leave no stone unturned. Every topic is game for us. We have to talk about the fun stuff. My son came to me and said to me, Mom, you know, with this Black Lives Movement going on, and by the way, people confuse the movement from the actual fight for Black Lives. It's not always about the movement organization. He tells me, Mom, it's not about the organization. It's about a movement to save Black. And I said, son, why are you sharing this with me? He said, African immigrants don't seem to understand the movement. And I said, really? He said, mom, do you understand that when I go to school, I am American, I was born here, but I face challenges just like an African-American child that, whose parents come from a different heritage as yours as an immigrant. And I was baffled. And I said, share more. And you know, now we have an episode on impact that we titled Black, Male, and Immigrant. That's a different perspective. That's great. You see what I mean? So we always bring that immigrant twist. I like that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Pamela Sobo Anchan, the founder and managing editor of The Immigrant Magazine and the host of Impact on KPFK. Pamela, is there a launch date for the new version of the TV show, Televised? Absolutely. Let me tell you this. We had a launch date for it, but then some things were happening, and so we went and put content. So we do have content already. However, our official launch date is actually next week. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, so this is so timely. So we're going to be releasing the first episode of Impact next week by Friday. I don't want to give a date and then change it, but by Friday, expect to have the first episode of Impact. Okay. And can you give yeah. us your the URL, the address to your website for people so they can check it out? Okay. It's team T I M T V Voice of Instagram in America. That's it on YouTube. That's the YouTube. That's okay. the television we have. Okay, team so they can just go to YouTube and do a search. Yes. 
Yes. Or they can just go to immigrantmagazine.com and they will, of course, redirect them. Yes. Okay, fantastic. And your impact uh, on KPFK, that is on, correct me if I'm Monday. wrong, Mondays at 2 p.m., correct? Yes, Mondays at 2 p.m., yes. Okay, on KPFK. So you get to hear the episode on, um, on Monday and you get to watch it on Team TV. So you can, if you are so impressed, and you will be, <laughs> you want to see who yeah. had that opinion, whose story that was. You want to see the diversity. We talk about immigrant accents. Like when I come to this, I came to this country and what is like, oh, you have an accent. At first I was offended. But later on I realized, okay, you do have an accent as well. You sound <laughs> American. I sound Cameroonian. <laughs> right. We, <laughs> we, we all have an accent, right? Yeah, but how does it impede your growth? Yeah. Are you discriminated against because of your accent? You know, so it's all of those implications that we discover on impact. Wow. You, um, you are... Just a huge inspiration for so many of us um, doing so much service for not just immigrants, but just mankind, humankind, I should say, not mankind. Thank the, you. The American experience, really. I want to thank you, Pamela, for being on the Blumhouse with Vic on KPFK. And we just want, I just want to remind everyone to tune in on Mondays at 2 p.m. for Impact for Pamela's show and also go to Immigrant Magazine to immigrantmagazine.com for the content as well as a link to the broadcast show which is going to premiere sometime next week correct yes please and subscribe yes and to subscribe to our youtube channel as well that's so important for us to go right i think all all roads lead to youtube it sounds like absolutely <laughs> right well pamela yes. thank you again very much and uh really appreciate the time you took to to be on the show and uh good luck with everything Thank you so much, and congratulations on your amazing show. Give me a voice. I appreciate it so much. P much appreciated. Thank you, Pamela. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Pamela Soba Anchan, the founder and managing editor of The Immigrant Magazine and the host and creator of Impact on KPFK. Thank you, Pamela, for your time. The Blunt Post with Vic. I have three quotes for you today. All three are about the recent commuting of Roger Stone's sentence by President Trump. The first one is from Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, and she said, President Trump's decision to commute the sentence of top campaign advisor Roger Stone, who could directly implicate him in criminal misconduct, is an act of staggering corruption. The second one is from Senator Mitt Romney. He said, Unprecedented, historic corruption. An American president commutes the sentence of a person convicted by a jury of lying to shield that very president. The last one is from Congressman Adam Schiff, who said, Trump has engaged in countless abuses of power of his office, but commuting Roger Stone's sentence after he lied to Congress to cover up for Trump is a new low. Trump and his GOP enablers care nothing about the rule of law. All the more reason to vote the bums out this November. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit the Blunt Post with Vic. Com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. 
both Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.